Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Let's stand together for the text. We do so for reverence of the Word and and understanding this is God's very Word that we read and it speaks to us by His Holy Spirit. And so we stand ready to listen, ready to receive from the Lord. It's a pretty important week this week is. It's not because you might have some appointments. It's not because you might have a birthday or you might have an anniversary or you're going to get this or do that. Not that those things aren't important. But they pale in comparison to what happened this week 2,000 years ago. As was mentioned already, what takes place in the last week of Jesus' life changes eternity forever. And it impacts each and every single human being that has ever been born. Because of what Christ would do on the cross and because of the victory He would have on Resurrection Day, it gives us hope and peace and eternal life. And what we'll read for our text this morning starts off that week. You've heard the term. I'm sure you've heard messages on it. And this this Sunday, this Lord's Day, I want to look at the triumphal entry. We'll look at Mark's account this morning, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by a door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, And when he had looked round about upon all things, and now eventide was come, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Father, we humbly bow before you this morning, thankful for your great grace and your mercy to allow us to be here, to, to allow us to look together into your word. I pray the songs that have been lifted up to you have been glorifying to you. I pray the prayers and the lessons that have been set forth or glorifying to you. And now, Lord, I pray that you would receive glory from this message. Show us what it means. Open our ears and our eyes to the truth here, Lord, by your Spirit. Move among us and remove the distractions and help us to be attentive to this wonderful event and the wonderful truth that it has. Lord, give me grace to speak for you and not above you. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some people live their lives in preparation for an event. There are people in high school, uh, football or baseball or basketball, that are dreaming of that big game. And so they do all that they can because one day they want to be in the Super Bowl or in the World Series or whatever they call the basketball thing. I don't know. (laughs) You're lucky I got the other two right. (laughs) But they prep their lives for that. So they tune their bodies and they condition themselves and they make it their goal to get there. They live their life in preparation for that event. For some, it's politics. They want to be in government. They want to uh, be in Congress or they want to make a presidential run. So they prepare their lives and they live their lives accordingly. Most of us are less glamorous in our goals. (laughs) We want to get a good, stable job that 
pays enough that we can live comfortably. So in many senses, we prepare our lives for that. Maybe it's uh, a trade school or maybe it's uh, an apprenticeship or whatever it may be. We try to, to, to get prepared for that career or we take schooling for it. For some, it's being a parent or being a spouse. Whatever it may be, we prepare for those big events in our lives, right? For me, I can look back and see many preparations that um, were being done in my life. Some I knew about, some God was working, and I didn't even know He was preparing me for certain things. One of them was for pastor. That hunger that He placed in me to to learn the Word and to study and to spend time with good, faithful, godly men. I didn't know that that was a foundation being built in me for what God was calling me to do, to preach and to pastor. And maybe you've seen some of that in your own life for uh, different events that has happened in your own uh, experience. But it's safe to say we, we live our lives for, in some form for that event that's coming. And Jesus is no different. In fact, Jesus lived his life in preparation for a three-year span. The Bible tells us he began to minister when he was about 30 years old. And then he began to do all the wonderful things that are recorded for us in the gospel. Jesus lived 30 years to begin ministering, to begin healing, to begin to call and to build his church in this new covenant that was promised. And he did a lot in those three years, didn't he? The Gospels are jam-packed with event after event. If you remember back in the book of Mark, it's, it's, it's a very bullet-point style where Jesus did this, boom, and then immediately he did this, boom, 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 all these demons being casted out, all these people being healed, all this uh, action and teaching that is coming from him that is packed into this three-year period, period. And even John says, hey, we couldn't even record all of it. Because if you did, there's not enough books in the world to contain it. So Jesus did a lot in this big event that we call His ministry. But can I say there's an even bigger event than that that He lived His life for? Jesus lived His whole life to die. Jesus lived His whole life for the cross. In fact, eternity itself was waiting for this. You read statements in different books. In the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That all of eternity was looking to what would happen. In fact, the focus of all of Scripture focuses on on Christ and who He was and what He did on that cross. And you see as you look back, all the types and shadows. Do you know this is a book about Jesus? Yes, it contains laws. Yes, it contains words of prophets and it contains history and things that happened. But all of it is pointing to Christ and when He came and what He did and who He is. Jesus lived His life to die. And His death and the steps toward it begins with this very event that is before us. The last week of His life and His march to the cross begins here. And the scene that we see here is beautiful in some senses. We see and we say, how nice. Oh, that would have been good to be there. In some senses, it's very bizarre. Like, why is He on a donkey? (laughs) Why not a horse and a chariot and all that goes with that? So it's a little bizarre to some, to to our human thinking. And in some senses, it's just plain bad, as we'll see. This is the king coming home. This is the king coming to his city. The Scripture makes no mistake that Jerusalem is God's city. It is a central figure in Scripture. It is the capital city of His country. 
And Jesus spends much time in Jerusalem. We see him coming in and out and doing ministry there. And then he'll do ministry in the countryside around and then he'll come back in. Why? Why is Jerusalem such a central point? Because it is his city. It is his capital city. And jumping ahead, it is from where he will rule the world. It's a special thing in Scripture. And so when Jesus comes into this city, He is coming home. It is the King returning to His capital. Whether the people in there know it or not, it is His city. (laughs) Do you understand Jesus is Lord whether this world accepts Him or not? The people you meet, whether they follow Him or whether they recognize that He is King of all, He is still King, King of kings and Lord of lords. And just the same as there are within this city as Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, God incarnate, rides in and people are crying His praise. It is the King coming home. And there are some people there that don't even know what's happening. In fact, in Matthew's account, you know what happens? People within the city say, who, who is this guy? Why, why is everybody making such a big deal about this? It is the King coming home we don't have any kings right we don't quite know that but if president trump were to come down san dimas avenue i'm pretty sure we'd go out to see him wouldn't we the current president maybe i'd stand out there with a sign saying jesus loves you i may not like you too much but jesus loves you Somebody of importance comes down or comes into town, there's usually a big ado about it, right? Especially if it's the President of the United States because he is our leader. And we'd go to see and see what the fuss is about. Just as kings in the old days, if they were to come into their country, there'd be a big deal about it. This is the king coming home. But he's not coming home to reign. He's not coming to ascend to his throne. When Jesus rides into his city, when he enters Jerusalem, he's coming to die. He's coming to be hated, to be spit on, to be murdered. And he knows it. Look in verse uh, chapter 10, just turn back a page and look at verse 33. Jesus knows full well what is going on. He tells His disciples, look in verse 33 of chapter 10, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death and shall deliver Him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock Him and scourge Him and shall spit upon Him and shall kill Him. And the third day shall he rise again. That's the gospel, isn't it? They didn't hear that last phrase, I don't think. They heard the first part. What? We're going up to Jerusalem to do what? He says, they're going to kill me. They're not just going to kill me. They're going to mock me and have this false trial. Jesus did nothing worthy of death. But yet they condemned him to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles. He was delivered to the Romans. And they'll mock him. Oh, stuff like that sends a a, a knife to my heart. This is the King of Heaven. The Creator of all things. And His creation will mock Him. In fact, you know what to do? It tells us in John chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 27. They, they make a crown of thorns, these, these two or three inch long thorns. They, they put it on his head and they jam it down. The scripture is careful to note that. They don't just place it. They jam it down upon his head. Then they, they put a robe over his back, which is shredded by, by the whip that he was whipped with. They put this robe over him and they put a reed in his hand. So they make him look like a king. And they bow down and they say, All hail the King of the Jews. Mocking Him. That's God they're doing that to. And He should have, with a thought, made them dust. But yet He lets it happen. And He knows it's going to happen. 
And you will still see by the teachings that he, that he has between what we read for our text and by the time He's on the cross, He is still reaching out, still proclaiming love, and that people would follow Him. Oh, our God is so loving, is He not? So gracious and so merciful to us. He's going into the city knowing what will happen. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to spit on me. They'll kill me. Now the third day I'll rise again, but this is still going to happen. He knows this. Can you imagine what's going through his heart as he's riding in? Knowing what waits. All of this fills his head and fills his heart as he sets his face towards Jerusalem. That's what the Scripture says. This is going to be done. I have a baptism to be baptized with. He says there's something that must be done. And he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't try to hide. He says, no, let's go. Let's do this. And it starts right here. Go get the donkey and let's go. And these events... Set in motion what will change forever. What will change my eternity and yours. So let's take a quick look here. Verse 1 of chapter 11. When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany. These are just towns about two miles away. Bethany we should be familiar with. That's where Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. And Jesus spent a lot of time with them, right? He seems to be going in and out of Jerusalem to Bethany. It's It's a nice little town and he's got... Dear, dear friends there. So they come on their journey. They come there and he stops. He sendeth forth two of his disciples. and He says, go over to this village. And as soon as you entered in it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say to you, why do you do this? Say that the Lord hath need of him and straightway he will send him hither. (laughs) There's going to be a donkey tied up sitting there. Go take it. If anybody tries to stop, you just say, hey, Jesus needs him. (laughs) Can <laughs> you imagine trying that today? I mean, that's like somebody's pickup truck or their car, their workhorse, literally. And this one's brand new. It's a, it says it's a foal of a donkey. It's a young donkey. Nobody sat on him yet. He hasn't been hooked up to any plows or anything like that. He's a brand new truck. And Jesus says, hey, go pick him up. Unloose him and bring him. If anybody says anything to you, just say Jesus needs him. You got. Let's step into the human side of things just for a little bit. What, what did the disciples think? What? <laughs> I don't think it works like that, but okay. Maybe they had seen enough by now to kind of trust him. But okay, let's go. So they go in, right? They went their way, found the colt tied by the door in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. I wonder if, hurry up. Come on, Peter. Untie it faster. <laughs> Quiet, John. I'm trying to, you know. I wonder what that was like. They untied him. They're walking away. I could see their eyes wide and waiting for somebody to come. And verse 5, certain men of them stood there and said, Hey, what are you doing? Loosing the colt. And they said unto him, I, um, I think it's Luke's account. The Lord hath need of him. And the people say, Okay. And they let him go. I wonder if they're walking away. Wow, that worked. I didn't think it would work. But they do what he says. So is this like something that happens by chance? Like Jesus says, well, I really want a donkey. Go get me a new donkey somewhere. I'm tired of walking. Is is this something like that? No, it is not by chance. It's not a last minute idea. It's the Bible coming true. It's the Bible coming true. Zechariah, you can turn with me, keep your finger here because we'll be back. But Zechariah, which is just a couple books past Malachi to the left, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Other than that, I can't tell you much more. You're going to have to look in page numbers. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says this. This is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. And the prophet says something. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. And having salvation and lowly. And is riding upon a donkey, upon the colt, the foal of a donkey. There is a prophecy, prophecy that says, 
Listen, Jerusalem, your king is going to come to you. He's going to be great. He's going to have salvation. And he's going to be humble, riding on a donkey. We'll get back to that in a minute, but that's totally opposite of what the human would do, right? If a king's coming, oh man, I'm going to make sure you know I'm king. You're going to see gold and, and a display. and I'm a dad, so my frame of reference is a little bit different than some people, but I'm thinking of the movie Aladdin when he comes in and there's the elephants and the peacocks and all that. <laughs> Hopefully you've seen the movie. I'm not just throwing that out there. That's the way I would come into town if I'm a king. But the prophecy is, no, it's lowly. And you know what happens in Mark chapter 11 at the triumphal entry? That scripture is fulfilled exactly like it was given. Exactly like it was given. There is no mistaking what happens here is fulfilling prophecies that came over. And that's just one in a long list of hundreds that Jesus fulfills in His birth, in His lifetime, in His ministry, in His death and burial and resurrection. Jesus fulfills what the Old Testament said would happen. Jesus does it. Passages in Isaiah, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Who, who fulfills that? No human ever, unless it's Jesus. The eternal one would be born in Bethlehem. Well, how does that happen? Through Jesus. On and on these things are fulfilled in the life of Christ, just like this one. Listen, can I just stop and say, God does what He says? God fulfills His promises? So when you read something in here, it's not good thoughts. It's not chicken soup for your soul. It is the very Word of God that we can base our life off of. Because I know what God says, God does. God fulfills the promises. You can believe the Bible. You can believe it with all that you are. And so when the promises are given to you and you face something that, that you can't see through or something that seems hard, we can have faith, right? That's what faith is about. I can have faith to know this is true and though my circumstances might say something different, I can have faith that God is going to do what He says. The Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. You can have that strong faith this morning. You can believe the Bible and what it says because God keeps His Word. That just that little example of going and getting a donkey is, is setting things in motion to fulfill Scripture. So that when the king comes into Jerusalem, he comes riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, just like that prophet said hundreds of years ago. And yes, he comes bringing salvation and peace for all. Again, I said how, how opposite to the human mind. Okay, so this guy's the king of glory. That's what you say. This guy is God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14. We believe that Jesus is God. Amen? Well, if this is God, the King of heaven, the King of glory, coming into His city, wouldn't it look a little bit different? Wouldn't there be like choirs of angels behind Him and a light shining on Him each step of the donkey and all of creation bowing down? All of creation praising with their lips the King of heaven? To the human mind, yes. But Jesus says, comes in a lowly manner. You see, Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that He humbled Himself and was found in the fashion as a man. He became like a servant. 
became like one of us so that He could save us. He comes in humility. The King humbled, bringing salvation, bringing grace and bringing mercy. Jesus doesn't come with a show of servants. He comes surrounded by the twelve and a multitude of you and me's. Look in verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. So as he begins to come, people are beginning to take off their, their coats and lay them down in the path. And others cut down branches off the trees, which most likely would have been palm trees. In fact, the other accounts say so. Hence the name for today, Palm Sunday. They would have been taking down these branches off the trees and putting them in front of the donkey. A show of respect, a show of obedience, a show of reverence that forbid, forbid to be that the, the, the animal that this great one is riding on should step on dirt. No, step on our garments and, and we'll put palm branches in the way. So this is a sign of reverence and worship. It's a sign of worship. And it's not just that. And they that went before, there's a group in front of him, and they that followed, a group behind him, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now this would be something to see. Because I don't think this was just a couple people. I think the crowds were pretty massive. Jesus could draw a big crowd, couldn't he? We're familiar with the feeding of the 5,000, right? Remember that story in Scripture? Well, it said the number of the men was 5,000 besides women and children. So if each man there had a wife and each man had one child, the number jumps from 5,000 to 15,000. And if they had more than that, you're talking between fifteen and 20,000 people. I have no reason to doubt that this crowd was similar. People are gathering out of the towns and, and coming out and uh, surrounding this man in normal clothes on a donkey who's riding up to Jerusalem. And they begin to throw down their cloaks and tree branches and palms and they begin to praise. Their voices begin to lift in praise. It says they begin to cry. The Greek word for that is, uh, we think of maybe of yelling. Or speaking really loudly, Hosanna, crying out. The Greek word is more than that. It's kratzo. It means to scream. To cry at the top of your lungs. The sound here would be deafening. You ever been at a place like that? Where the crowds are, are screaming out and it's almost deafening? The valley would be Filled with sound. Jerusalem, the inhabitants of the Jerusalem would hear this loud and clear. And what are they what are they saying? Hosanna. Hosanna. Which means, oh God, save us, or oh God, our salvation. They're praising God. They're quoting scripture. Psalm 118.26 to be exact when they say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They're just praising him so much. It's just like scripture that's coming out. <laughs> do you ever, I kind of like instances like right now I find myself, you ever find a lack of words to praise God? Like to, to tell how good He is, like when you're praying, and you, you find yourself saying things that are just so, almost like weak. Like, thank you so much, right? Thank you, Lord, thank you. I find myself doing that, and it's, there's this desire in me, oh, I want to say so much more. I, I want to say, be able to express it more. And you find yourself quoting Scripture like this. Blessed is the name of the Lord. All glory be to Him. Oh man, I, there's sometimes my heart is so taken up in praise, that's what comes out. 
Scripture. And just praising His name. Lord, You are so good. That is what's happening here. And there are thousands of people praising God and proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. This is the King come home. And the effect goes through the whole city. Matthew chapter 21 tells us the people in the city were moved saying, Who is this? And the multitudes coming in say, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And there's some there who hate this. The Pharisees. In fact, Luke chapter 19 tells them coming up as the crowds are are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to God. The Pharisees come out and they get up next to Jesus and they say, hey, tell them to be quiet. Master, rebuke thy disciples. (laughs) And Jesus' response is awesome. (laughs) He says, I tell you, if I tell these people to be quiet, the stones themselves would immediately cry out. You're not stopping this. No, not this time. Not this time. And Jesus Himself does not stop it. You'll see sometimes like He heals somebody and He says, hey, be quiet about it. My hour's not yet come. Or go and tell so-and-so, but don't tell everybody, which nobody ever, you ever notice that? Nobody ever listened. (laughs) Like the the blind men that were healed or the lepers that were healed, he, He says, okay, I've healed you, but go and be quiet. My hour's not yet come. They never do. They never listen. They go tell everybody and everybody comes out to see Jesus. But he says that several times. My hour is not yet come. What is he saying? Well, let's just suffice it to say there's a timeline in Jesus' ministry. The cross would come exactly when Jesus wanted it to. Not before, not after, but at the accepted time. Now's the time. Now His hour has come. And He lets this praise ring through that valley. Why? Number one, because He is worthy, isn't He? God is worthy of all our praise. Jesus is worthy of every word that we could ever lift to Him in praise. The Creator of all things who is going to give His life for us. He is worthy. And in fact, in eternity, what will happen? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That is the song that will repeat from His people as we bow before Him, as we lift Him up and honor and worship Him. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of all that You have done. He is worthy. He is worthy. So let it ring. Let the crowds cry out at the top of their lungs, salvation has come from God. It is His time to be proclaimed. So He lets it go. And another reason He lets it go and does not stop it, this will get Him killed. This will get Him killed. This is the last straw that breaks or that ignites the hatred of the Pharisees. Now the whole Valley is praising you. Enough is enough. We've got to put a stop to this. And so what we have before us here in Scripture is a beautiful scene. But it's also a tragic scene. He is worthy of all the praise. It's His time to be proclaimed. This is the King coming home. But here's what makes it tragic and what I want to close on this morning. Here's what makes it tragic. The praise that is coming out, He is worthy of. The praise that is coming out is true. He is God who is bringing salvation, who is lowly and humble and coming to us. But the motive behind the praise is false. It's false. This is not true worship. Oh, there's some who understand in the crowd. Most do not. They are crying out for salvation. Praise God! Salvation has come! We're going to be free from Rome now. God's going to come and fulfill His promises and He's going to break this pagan rule over us and Israel's going to be the center of the earth and He's going to rule with us as kings. He's going to obliterate our enemies. Praise God, David, our fathers, who He promised all this. Salvation has come. They're looking at it from the wrong angle. They're praising Him for the wrong 
reasons. They're crying out in praise for what they expect Him to do for them. They are praising the Jesus they want. The victor. The conquering Messiah. They're praising Him for their view of Him. But here's the problem. This praise changes very quickly, doesn't it? You know what it changes to? It goes from Hosanna, praise God in the highest, to what? Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Let His blood be on us and our children. We will not have this man to reign over us. Crucify Him. By the influence of their leaders, they will cry out for His blood. The man that they praise now coming into Jerusalem, they cry out to be killed. Crucify him. This is not the Christ we wanted. Him with his hard sayings and his teachings and his call to this new covenant and away with him. Beloved, it's no different today. You know that, right? It's no different today. There are many who praise Him with right words, but they praise the Jesus they want. They praise the Jesus they want, the loving, graceful Jesus, which He is. Oh, praise God for His grace and mercy. Praise God for His love to us. And He is the loving, gentle shepherd who has done so much good for us, hasn't He? They they praise Him for that. But do you know when there are some, if not many, who when the call comes to service, when the call comes for a repentance, when the call comes for commitment, they stop. Do you know why that's many people will not be saved? Because they will not repent of their sin. The Scripture tells us we are sinners. We are fallen. And Jesus came to save us, to forgive those sins, to Uh, redeem us back to the Father from our sins, but we have to admit we're fallen. If any confesses with his mouth, he shall be saved. We have all sinned. We all come short. We all need to repent and turn to him fully and in faith. But there are many who do not want to admit they're sinners. And when you start preaching hell, you start preaching judgment, you start preaching repent, just as the apostles did, right? On the, on the uh, day of Pentecost. What must we do to be saved? Repent and believe the gospel. The Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Repent and believe in Jesus. You start preaching things like that in today's world and people get mad because they don't want to believe that they don't want to admit that they're wrong and that they're fallen. So they'll praise God and love Jesus up to a certain point and then no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like that. Many will praise Him for their prosperity. Praise God, I got a new car. Praise God, I got a new house and a raise. God is good. And when it's gone, what happens? Why, Lord? How could you do this to me? Because they're basing the blessings of God off of stuff. They praise Jesus when He's all good with them. And when they don't like Him, the praise stops. That's the same thing that's going on. Praise God, He's going to come save us. And when He actually tells them what He's here to do, yeah, I'm here to save you from yourselves, from your own sin. And I will conquer, but first I must die and be and raise again. They didn't. They missed it. They didn't accept it. They missed it. Some people, They praise Jesus as long as America is good. And they base it off a national strength. or They praise Him up to there's a call for commitment. Romans 6 says, Yield yourself as a servant to God. Give yourself to Him as His servant. People will accept up to a point and they reject And it is so tragic and heartbreaking. 
Even though these people praise him, they miss him. They miss him. Turn into your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and look at verse 41. This is Luke's account of the same thing. And this is what he adds on to the end. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and Luke 19.41 says this, Then he has come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hidden from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Listen now, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. This was the day of their visitation when their king came home and they missed him because they wouldn't listen. They did not receive him they rejected. And all I can say, is this the day of visitation for you? Has the king, through his word and his Holy Spirit, begun to speak to your heart about some things? Are you worshiping the king truly? First and foremost, as your Savior. The Bible tells us we are fallen in sin. That we need salvation. We need somebody to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus comes to do. To give His life as the perfect sacrifice for sin. That all who place their faith on Him might be forgiven of sin and have eternal life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus came to do. But we must look into ourselves and admit, I am not right with God. I have failed. Even though I might say praises to God, even though I can outwardly worship Him, in my heart have I been forgiven of my sins. Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? And do you have that blessed assurance and peace to know that if you were to pass from your life at this moment, you'd open your eyes in heaven. Not because of any good that you have done, not because of your church attendance, not because of your financial giving, but only, singularly, because you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. Until you do that, you cannot be right with the King of Heaven. But He loves you and reaches out to you so that you can be. Have you been following Him fully? Worshiping truly, not only with your words, but when your heart, with your heart and with your life. So when the Bible tells us to do something, we are quick to obey. Is this your day of visitation? You see, Jesus was there and they missed him. And it brought judgment. Matthew 23, 39 says this. This is ap- Now listen, this is Jesus pronouncing judgment and it's after the triumphal entry. And here's what he says. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They already said that. They said that at the triumphal entry. What's he talking about? Not till you say it for real. Not till you mean it. Not till your heart is truly given me. You're not going to see me. And you know what? The nation of Israel still has not. They don't see Jesus when they read the scripture. They are under judgment. Don't be the same, my friend. He came humbly and lowly and offering salvation for sinners, seeking us out to save us. He came to provide a place and a people to walk with Him and to display Him until His returns. And He gives His Word to us. He gives His Spirit. He gives everything that we could possibly need. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Will you accept or will you reject? That's the question. Will you praise Him with fake words and not your heart? Or will you give your heart to Him? People choose. People reject. People rearrange. (laughs) Be careful messing with the King. This is His Word, not yours. His Word, not mine. Not ours as a church. This is God's Word. Don't mess around with God and His Word. So many people say, well, I like this part, but, you know, let's unhitch from the last half. It's been the popular thing I've seen, seen floating around by... No, this is His Word, all of it. And it's profitable for all things that we need. 
Don't mess around to where you start saying, I like this part and not that part. I'll obey this part and not that part. I'll love Jesus, but the Jesus I like, be careful with that. The king has come, and the king is coming again. You understand that, right? The king is coming again. He came humbly, offering salvation, offering amnesty, which means to not remember anymore. Amnesty from our sins. In fact, in Isaiah, he says this, Even I am he who blots out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Praise God for His grace and mercy. Praise God for the forgiveness He has given us in Christ. That because of Christ, we can be right with God. We can, as Romans 5.1 says, have peace with God. But there are many who reject. (laughs) I would urge you to be right with the King. Today is the day. Now is the time. Salvation is offered to you now. The chance to be a servant and uh, obedient to His commands is offered to you now. And I would pray that you would come while it is offered. For it will not be offered forever. When King Jesus comes again, it will not be on a donkey. It will not be humbly. It will not be lowly. And it will not be to save. It will be to reign. It will to have vic- be to have victory over all the earth. Revelation 19 says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, not a donkey anymore, a white horse, a king's horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. This is Jesus. And He is coming again. Heaven will open and we'll see Him on a white horse and He will have all crowns. And He will be victorious over all enemies. That blood on His robe is not His own. It is in victory over the earth. Over those who have rejected, over those who would try to to dethrone Him, the King comes and out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress, winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written. What is that name, beloved? King of kings and Lord of lords. He will come again. And He will not come in a lowly manner. He will come as who He is. The righteous King of heaven. The righteous King over all the earth. God Himself. And there will be no more false motives. The Scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. Everyone. Some Because they offer it willingly. And some now because they are forced to. King Jesus is Lord Almighty and He will reign forever. So what we can do is we can bow now and we can obey now to the praise and honor and glory when Jesus comes. Or you can do your own thing. You can reject. You can not listen and Say, amen, what a good sermon, and go and do your own thing and not obey a a single word out of this. Or you can read it and say, you know what, no, I don't like that. That's, That's what mainstream people, not mainstream, the majority of people who call themselves Christians do exactly that. I like this, I don't like that, I'm not going to do that. Praise God for this part, not that part. Don't believe me, let's talk about money. That'll change some people's praise on Jesus real quick. Or being obedient. Or You can do that. Just be careful. Because King Jesus is coming. Is this the day of visitation for you? Is the Lord somehow speaking to you through this? Are you saved this morning, forgiven of your sins? If you find yourself not right with the King... 
I pray that you would come to Him. Don't make things right and then come to Him. No, come to Him in your brokenness because He has come humbly bringing salvation. Come to Him and ask for forgiveness and and place your faith in Him that He is the one that can save you. Bring your pile of sins and plead for mercy because that's what He came to do. Believe that He died to save you and the Scripture says, if you believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Perhaps maybe we need to check our motives. We need to check our our commitment to Him. Are we fully accepting Him and all that He has? Not just the cross, but the, the, the guide for life and baptism and the church and serving Him and living for Him. All that He told us about. Are we fully accepting that? Or do we just praise Him for the Jesus that we like? Only the Lord knows how this may have touched your heart. He is worthy of our praise, but He is worthy of our hearts also, is He not? And I I pray that not only myself, but you as well, that we would not be like these fickle crowds that are so quick to praise and then yet so quick to cry out for His blood. But instead that we would praise Him truly and faithfully for who He is with all of our heart. Let's pray. Father, You are so great. Your Son is so great, so mighty and worthy of all the praise that we could ever offer up with these human mouths and human minds. Lord, help us as we look into our own hearts and we see the the thing that is presented here before us in Your Scripture, Lord, that we would not be fake in our praise or or we would not pick and choose but Lord that we want to give you all of who we are all of our hearts all of our obedience because you are worthy you are worthy so help us where we fail help us where we get messed up in our own motives our own lives and our own our own thoughts Lord and I just ask that you would by Your Spirit, do the work that only You can do and and reveal to each mind and each heart here and those who are listening where we need to step up and where we need to submit, whether that be for salvation, Lord, draw them, show us our sins and show Christ on the cross in Your love crucified for us. Or if we're failing and we're, we're not being fully obedient, Lord, just give us the heart to fully follow You because You are worthy. You are worthy. I ask this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand if you would.